Hey folks, hope your Q3 and Q4 is off to a good start. We just wrapped up Founder 500 in Austin, Texas. Hundreds of bootstrap founders showed up. It was an amazing time. I loved meeting so many of you. This interview today is a recording from that session, which you're going to love because now we have visuals, we have the founder teaching, and I made every single speaker include their revenue graphs and real artifacts in their presentations. Without further ado, let's jump in. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. Steve Pockross from Verblio. Thank you guys all so much for staying before lunch with me. I really appreciate it. Um, I will try to make it worth your while. That is not me. Ooh, that looks more like me. Um, this presentation was, uh, this was a much longer Saster presentation before, um, and we uh, streamlined it down, so it might run a little fast, but I'm going to try to pack it a lot. We are here to talk about how to build an A-plus talent company with a D-minus budget, um, which is what you do when you're doing with, with Bootstrap World. So I think people think about Bootstrap in a lot of different ways. The way I think about it is if you're an investor company, you're investing two years in front of where you want to be. And if you're a Bootstrap company, you're investing what you needed to do two years ago now. Um, and so you need to find the right people in order to do that. And getting those people who are going to drive that is your biggest competitive advantage. It's probably the thing that I'm most proud of that we've done as a company. Um, let me show. Um, so this is Verblio's growth rate. I took over the company from the founders in 2000 um, at the end of 2016. Um, so we have been growing at 40 to 50% successfully on a bootstrap budget since then. Uh, we are 100% bootstrapped until a couple months ago when FounderPath helped us out with some working capital. I have much to say about how amazing this is as a service. I was not paid to do so, but please talk to me about it afterwards. There was no access to capital like this for any time before that. Um, we're an S-Corp company, so my founders were going to have to take out liens on their homes for me to get a line of capital before. Uh, and now I have a cheaper rate than when it was available within two weeks. Um, this is our story. This is what I'm talking about. We are a content creation marketplace. So what we are a combination of SaaS and marketplace. We have a network of 3,000 um, freelance writers. And what they do is create the power to basically... How do you explore and exploit the, the new competitive advantage for the marketing channel of inbound traffic? And so we create that content for the web. This is our, I don't know why it says 2019, but these are our stats through to the end through year to date. We're basically on track for over 100,000 pieces of unique content created. We are trying to create unique content at scale with high quality. And that combination is a very hard thing to do. Uh, we call ourselves uh, a master of niches, which is in order to compete in SEO, it has to get better and better every single year, both on the quality side of the writing and also what you need to do to enhance that content to be seen and found. We have where we serve over a thousand active customers every month. 
We do that with, we have 3,000 riders active in our platform. We're actually trying to decrease that to try to find the right balance between talent and scalability. About 1,000 of them are riding on our platform every month. We're on track for 12 to $14 million in revenue this year, and we pay out about a third of that to riders, which is uh, a different marketing model um, than a lot, or a different business model than a lot of other players in our space. Um, the company started in 2010. We were Denver Boulder based, and then COVID hit, and now we're not. Um, so this originally started as I was going to talk about one thing. I was going to talk to you about how to scale talent. And then Nathan got really excited that I should talk about how to start a marketplace and also what's a SaaS business model for marketplace businesses. I'm going to focus on the middle part and just talk about how we scaled our talent. I'm happy to talk about the rest of it later, but I don't think we'll be able to, um, cover quite that much. Um, we scaled this team. I took over about 10 people. We are actively over 50 now. I've interviewed and talked to every single one of the people who came on board. We also recruited a very specific focus on our contractors and who we wanted to bring on as contractors. All of our developers are individual contractors are out of Latin America that are maybe a quarter to 20% of the cost work with our team full time and has given us incredible competitive advantage, but getting them was really quite the, um, quite the chore. And so I'm going to have you walk away with two things that I want you to think about that I think really differentiated us and set us apart with the competitive advantage. And the first is that we think about sales and recruitment or recruitment as a sales and marketing process. Every piece of it is a funnel that should be managed with marketing in mind. And in the same way, there should be a sales. You should target who you're selling to marketing. You should have the right messaging. You should have the right segment. And then on the product side, you're building your company to appeal to them. Uh, and lastly, customer success is you're going to onboard them because you want to keep them. Um, that is how we think of it. We don't think it should be run by people ops and HR. We think it should be run by the CEO of the company. And the second main takeaway is that if you're a CEO of a company, this is your number one job. And in order to wait, most people think about strategy is what you should be doing. And you can talk about people first strategies all day long. But to me, a people first strategy starts with what are you not going to be doing and what are you not going to be investing your resources in? And I'll give you one example before we jump in. Um, we started off with a, um, with a, actually, let me give you one of my favorite references. So I, I read a long time ago that uh, Steve Ballmer, at the beginning of every year, talked to his executive assistant about what percent of his calendar wanted to be allocated to every single one of the functions, 25% to sales, 25% to customers, 25% um, to people. I think of it that same way. I want over half of my time to be spent internally. And that means we specifically don't focus on sales and product nearly as much um, as is the, the current dogma for startup success. Um, Nathan really wanted to uh, include an org chart. Um, this is kind of amazing to me. I think there's a couple of things. First is anyone who's in a high growth company, you look at your org chart from a few years ago compared to what it is now and you get blown away about how all this happened. I interviewed every single one of these people when they came on board. There were a bunch of things that I, that I think really set us apart. So one is every member of this leadership team that I've hired over the last six years, we have had 0% turnover. That gives an incredible competitive advantage. They are also built for growing a much larger organization than I currently have. 
So we don't spend time on turnover. Um, we don't spend time on having to recruit every year. They get to do everything. Um, we have, we've lost one person who we didn't want to lose over the last year. We lose an average of two people per year. That retention gives us such scale and such ability to focus on the bigger challenges for our customers and for our product than anything else. Um, Every one of these top people who then hired a bunch of other people came from my referral network and people that I that I stayed in touch with over the years. They were the best of the best that I'd worked with and networking was one of my biggest keys is staying in touch with people that you like along the way so that they're there and they're available for the moment you that you can actually afford to hire them or you have room for them. Um, and then I think the other thing about looking at a bunch of people in boxes that I find interesting is these all used there. There didn't used to be any drop downs. So every single one of these people that you're hiring at a certain stage of your client, and, and this is really kind of like a zero to ten million type of of org chart. Every person that you're buying that you're bringing on board is an explorer. They're creating their own job rec. So you created a job rec that you thought was going to fit them, but they never created that job. And so you should think about uh, the people you're bringing on that would fit that personality type. Um, Bootstrap to eight talent. So the first thing that we look for is a classic market segmentation. What can I be doing differently? What tar It's a, a innovator's dilemma type of situation. Who can I be looking for that no one else is looking for? What characteristics can I bring on at a more affordable um, cost that I might appeal to, might appeal to us? And so the first thing is... I don't believe in hiring for experience at a zero to 10 million type of range. There are very few positions that require um, a large amount of been there before done that. Those are the most expensive people. Those are the most um, the most competitive. And those are the hardest prior away from the large investor company or investor funded companies. Those are also the ones I don't want. Uh, if they want to be with the large investor funded companies and they want the highest salaries, they're going to go there. So what am I going to build for them? I need to appeal some, do something to appeal to them along the way. So I'm looking for traits. I am looking for a high passion, for motivation, deep curiosity. I'm looking for energy. I'm looking for smarts and curiosity. I want people who are going to look and figure out what the problems are that they need to solve because I can't even tell them ahead of time. Uh, and then flexibility. Um, I want them to be able to, to adjust to whatever pivot that we're going to take because there's a lot of mindset that's going to go into this. Um, and so we... It's funny, so Nathan asked me to put up our scorecard for our recruitment process, and I thought it, this is really actually pretty evident in the way that we think about hiring talent. We, I firmly believe that scorecards are stupid. I think that scorecards make you feel like the choice that you made makes you feel better about the choice you made. Um, it only reifies your existing values and your existing choices. I realize there's a lot of DEI concerns and thoughts that go into this process, and if you're scaling a larger company, it's... You know, it's important to make sure those checks and balances are in place. Um, but for me, it's about hiring for values. So we have an extensive recruiting process where we have eight to 10 people interview every person that comes on board. Um, to me, spending that amount of time, I think it was, it was just uh, Todd from Penda who just said, 30 minutes with a candidate is not going to tell you if they're a good candidate or not. People are getting better at interviewing all the time. You might get a lot better feeling if you got eight to 10, but you also are going to know if they like you after eight to 10. Um, so those are both really important. Um, so we have an extensive, pro we want to know that you're willing to invest in us. We're willing to invest a lot in you if we think you're a good candidate. And then each one of our interviewers is focused on at least one of the values, if not all of them, and a very specific question sets is going through. 
We spent a lot of time thinking about our values. Um, I can't remember what speaker we were just talking to, but the values come up when the right time to define your values is after you created them and you try to figure out what you just created, as opposed to the whiteboard strategy of putting them out there. Ours are about passion, quirkiness, and scrappiness, uh, inclusiveness, and really uh, cheering on and bringing energy to the rest of the team. Um, the thing that I interview for at the end and why it's so important, I thought that Todd's comment was really interesting of like, what value does the CEO bring? Is this just a control freak situation? To me, I'm going in with a couple things. One is I want to know that you're curious about something. Like there's something that you just became unexpectedly passionate about. And once you did, you went obsessively after it and wanted to learn it because that's who I want at my company. And the second is the way that I feel. I want to feel more energized after I leave the question or after I leave the interview with you than I felt before. Um, and I think if you're adding more energy with every single new person that you bring on, you're going to bring a more energized company that's going to attract more energized talent that's going to keep coming in. Um, so I think of recruiting like marketing. Um, so we work like a funnel. We focus on the talent. The second piece of it is we think about um, the marketing piece is I want my marketing team writing the job recs. And so we'll talk a little more about job recs in a second, but this is your place where you're attracting your talent. So you should be standing out wherever you're going. And it, um, I, I, I challenge all of you to look at your job recs and to see if it's the place that you would want to work by looking at it. So I have challenged my team that first for the first 20 job recs that we created, I read and edited every single one of them because this is my messaging. I do it for all of marketing. Why wouldn't I do it for my top people? And then I had a mandate that I want three times by the end of every one of them because I want people that are going to be fun to work with. And I want them to write me a cover letter that entertains the crap out of me so that me reading their cover letters is more interesting because I wrote a better job rec. Um, and then brand and culture is really the product aspect of this. And this is what you need to build. You need to build that brand and culture that attracts your top talent. This is your product to the outside world. And this is a really hard thing to do. Um, I'll take a little pivot for or a little tangent for a second and say so much of business school, so much of books and thought leadership is all about those pivotal decisions. When you took financing, we're going to talk about when you took financing all the time during this conference. It's when you made your big pivot. And MBA programs, I got an MBA, we focused on these things all the time. And then what I find out is really successful is you set your strategy and you make a thousand micro decisions and micro interactions every day that you make people want to work more with you and that you want to work more with them. It is the CEO who is on the Slack channel, setting emojis, liking things and setting up a funny emoji afterwards is going to get you so much credence. People are going to work, want to work with you. Then when people interview with you, they're going to be like, what's your CEO like? And they're like, oh my God, <laughs> I can't even tell you the comment. It's ridiculous and it's embarrassing what he just said. But that's the way that you're going to drive these things. If you are not part of your own culture and you've off, you've delegated that to somebody else, your, your company's not going to have the company or the culture you're looking for. Mine's clearly a quirkier culture than most people are comfortable with. I lead with a lot of humor. Um, yours could be a data culture. You could have data all over your website, but make it consistent and make it true as opposed to you're going to check in on the recruiting meeting once a month. Um, this is what our careers page looks like. Uh, it is quirky and uh, it is meant to attract a certain type and it's meant to not attract a certain type. Uh, if you don't think saying we're freaking fantastic on a page is funny, um, you might not think we're funny um, and might not want to work with us, but we take a lot of risks and we uh, let people be really inventive as far as what they are. Um, 
can see. Um, we promote our brand and culture everywhere, so um, we can't pay competitive salaries. Every one of these leaders who came to our company took a pay cut to come to my company to do this because they want to be there. So we have to make sure that they want to be there all the time. And there's a lot of things that top talent want uh, and desire. And I think a lot of us learn more and more about that during the pandemic than we ever have before. One is they want agency, they want control. They want to be able to make a difference. So I meet with every member of my company, it used to be every month. Um, I think Todd was talking about this as well. I deeply believe in the one-on-one, -on -one, not just not just for information gathering, which is the way I think most people think of it, but it's also to empower those employees. You want people who are going to make a change. You want them to see something and want to make a difference as opposed to whatever systems you've built up in place like scar tissue in your company that is going to prevent them from having that agency. Um, there's benefits that you can think of for being attractive or to attract talents. So we have last Fridays off now. I know there's a lot of movement towards four-day work, work weeks, which I'm deeply interested in. Um, there's quirky benefits that cost you absolutely nothing that are so fun. You can talk about in an interview. We offer $200 if you dye your hair one of Verblio's three colors. It has to be over 50% and I have to approve it. But um, we have a snack budget, but you only get the snack budget if you share what your snack order is on Slack and you eating it. Um, this is free. <laughs> like this is free. People want this. And this makes people super excited to share what they're doing with their lives. Um, think about your benefits that way too. Um, so we're going to talk a few seconds about how do you land A players. Um, and we're going to talk about job recs. And so uh, I talked about how I want every job rec to may at least make me laugh three times. Here's just some examples. I love our product descriptions. Do you even speak dev, bro? Eats complexity for breakfast and beauty for dinner. Has a healthy dose of whimsy, adventureness, and rah-rah team spirit. Your copywriter should be able to do this with like 30 minutes and you're having your HR people write this. Like attract the best people. This takes so little effort. Get excited about it. Read each one of them. Make, see if you would want this job. Um, the second, this is kind of a little less obvious, which is be really transparent in your job recs. I think most job recs are kind of vague with the idea of we'll tell them what the job is once they get there. Top talent doesn't want to know that. They want to know what they're getting themselves into, if they're a good fit. Um, I think most of us are cautious in that every job rec is actually impossible. There's no one who can fill every single thing on there and you turn off a lot of top talent the more things that you say. But I think more people are recognizing that now. Be honest with them. Um, I would love to. Uh, Colorado now has a law. We're from Denver, and uh, that says that you have to be more transparent on your on the comp. It's actually been really helpful to let people know just what range we're in. Uh, the last piece. Can I activate your phone? Okay. Am I am I late yet? Um, is to stick the landing. Um, this is really customer success. So many sales pre presentations talk about how sales doesn't end the day the contract gets signed. Um, I think I've seen that presentation a hundred times. Um, your, your, your recruitment didn't end the day that you got them on board and that you passed them over to your hiring manager. Your hiring manager might hire one person every three years. That person might have hired their very first person, your entire structure, and you as the CEO need to be supporting that person and bringing them on board. Um, and so what do we do? We have a bunch of things. So the first, I think, is just like normal human, like, good empathy and, and, and niceness, which is when somebody accepts, when they're thinking about, when you've made an offer to them, have every single person they talk to in the company, write them an email and say, Hey, I'm super, I'm super excited to meet you. Come on board. I hope you make it. 
not just the recruiting manager, not just the head of HR is there like waiting to get back. This is not, don't dehumanize your own process because it's so process driven. Um, the second is once they do accept, have as many people in the company possibly send out something nice to them as possible, send them a swag package, make them feel part of the team, and then have an onboarding session. So we now, once you're big enough, so it took us a while to get there, but I'm a part of every onboarding session too. I want to run the part about culture. I want to talk about the culture company history. If your executives are making time for new people and they feel like they have a direct connection, they are going to be so much more energized to, uh, to go. And you're letting them know that they have that ability to make change themselves. Um, and so I have one last story to end with, which is, um, is it kind of an example of what, uh, of what we're doing here of uh, kind of the main point of the story. So I took over in 2017, I have another graph that I included in the Saster presentation, which is, um, I hired an amazing, um, so I met this woman, Zoe, um, Treason when I was, she was an intern at my previous startup and I thought she was a top talent. She was a film major and she was going into business school cause she thought it would be interesting. She'd never managed one human in her life, but she was all of the traits that I just talked about, flexible, motivated, curious, passionate, dependable. Um, and so I went out and recruited her before she could finish business school to come over to the new startup that I'd taken over. And we had a head of customer success that just wasn't cutting it. Um, and I gave Zoe head of customer success role after having managed zero people in her entire life. She now runs 20 people, which is half of my company, uh, having never done so before. And she grew up through the organization. And so the way that we got there was I had a big decision to make when we first come on board. If you're going to build a strategy about hiring top talent that's flexible and passionate, but has never done it before, you need to give them a lot more resources. So I had a budget where I could choose one salesperson or an executive coach to support all my new leaders on my first year. And I chose an executive coach to coach up that team so they could do all of these things. Uh, so that's where strategy gets made and it's in the things that you don't do as much as the things that you do do. Um, and I think that is really one of the major, the most important success features in growing us 700% over the last couple of years. And so uh, Nathan just came in the room. So I'm going to talk about how I didn't talk about the first point and the third point that you added. Sorry. <laughs> but I did nail the point. <laughs> I, I think I, I talked about him a little bit. Um, so uh, this is how we scale the team. And I'm happy to talk about contractors and scaling as well. And I would love to talk about marketplace and business models anytime. <laughs> Thank you.